This is recording number 10909 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, February 27, 2011. This is the second message in the series titled The Doctor's Gospel by Randy Bolt. This message is titled The Things of the Father. Let's turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. Luke, chapter 2. Last week, we began a new series of messages called the Doctor's Gospel. Now, last week, we talked about the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist. And it's interesting that Luke begins his Gospel talking about someone other than Jesus. But we found that in the story of the announcement of, by the angel Gabriel to Zacharias and uh, Elizabeth about the birth of John the Baptist, who would be the forerunner of Jesus, uh, we saw in there the heart of the gospel, that the gospel or the good news is above everything else, God answering the longing of people's hearts. Now, what follows uh, in the balance of chapter 1 and the bulk of chapter 2 is pretty familiar territory for most of us because it deals with the uh, announcement of the birth of Jesus, uh, Mary visiting with Elizabeth, and then John the Baptist being born, and, and then uh, all of the familiar territory that goes along with the story, the Christmas events. So we, we're, we're pretty well, most of us, aware of the things that transpire in that section of the book. And even though it certainly would be a worthy study, and uh, I am tempted to, to just you know, dig in on, into every word, we will never get through this book if I do that. So I'm going to pass, if you'll excuse me, on a lot of that stuff that we are, as I said, already pretty familiar with. And um, move to a passage at the end of... Uh, chapter 2 of Luke's gospel that is not often talked about. But remember, Luke is being very careful about this. He's, he's methodical and um, wanting to set forth an orderly accounting of the life of Jesus. So he's not just throwing in you know, everything, including the kitchen sink here. He's, he's giving us um, the details about the life and ministry of Jesus that he thinks best serves the purpose of what he is trying to present and I believe a lot of one of the ways that you could describe that is that he's looking for the heart of Jesus in these in uh, in the the history of these events and so I'm going to ask you to read with me verses 41 through 52 of the gospel of Luke his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. Now, this is after the, uh, the birth of Jesus and all that that I just said. And we're going to find out in just a minute that Jesus is 12 years old at this point. We know nothing about the life of Jesus between his infancy and 12 years of age. Nothing. The Bible is completely silent except to say that he grew. And that in verse 40 that we aren't reading, it 
I guess I am now, but <laughs> we weren't going to read. It says that he, in, in his home uh, in Nazareth, uh, under um, Joseph and Mary's parentage, it says that he grew or in, was enlarged uh, in spirit, in wisdom, and in grace. That's all we know about those early years of Jesus' life. So we're picking up the story uh, 12 years later. And we're told that his parents do this annual thing. They go to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. Now, Jewish uh, men were required to be in Jerusalem for three festivals a year. And Passover was one of them. And it had become sort of the default. If you're going to fulfill any of the, that requirement, this is the one you would do, which is Passover celebrating God's uh, delivering of the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt. And it says here that uh, Joseph and Mary, their, their family, attended the celebration of Passover every year in Jerusalem. And when he, Jesus, was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. So we've already seen two references of the fact that this was part of their routine. Every year they go and then they do the custom of the feast, Right? And there was very specific ways that the, the Hebrew scriptures identified or outlined what you were to do in celebration of the Feast of Passover. And it was a Feast of Passover, and it was a seven-day uh, celebration. So, verse forty-three: When they had finished the days, as they returned or went back home, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. I want you to know before we go, note before we go any farther here that it does not say Jesus ran away. It doesn't say that he uh, rebelled against their instructions to join them on the journey home. It just simply says he stayed, he lingered in Jerusalem. They assumed that because this is what they do every year. They go there, they celebrate Passover for seven days, and when they're done, they go home. They assumed that he would be with them. And... That assumption lasts for a whole day. Uh, let's see. Uh, verse 44. But supposing him to have been in the company, because they apparently traveled to and from Jerusalem with a, probably relatives, at least friends from their community. So there's a bunch of them. And you know when you're together with family and sometimes you... Have you ever lost track of your... In fact, I know this happens because Trish this morning was running around here trying to figure out where Toby was. <laughs> you know, when you're with your friends and family, you just kind of assume somebody's going to... I don't have to watch them every single minute because somebody's going to pick up the slack for me and I'll do the same for them. And Right? So it's a, a whole day passes, it says, they, uh, but supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. Finally, it dawns on them, probably when he didn't show up for dinner, I don't know, but finally it dawns on them after a day that he's not with them or they don't know where he is. And uh, so verse 44, 45, so when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, Jerusalem seeking him. Now, if, you've ever, if you're a parent and you've ever lost a child in a store, the supermarket, or the mall, you know the panic that can kind of set in. But remember, Jesus is 12 years old. He's not, he's not a little child. But still, that panic probably sets in uh, with them. And they don't know exactly where he is, so they travel to Jerusalem seeking him. Verse 46, now, so it was that after three days, they found him in the temple. It wasn't that they were looking for him for three days, but remember, they've traveled one day 
before they even realized he was missing, they travel another day back to Jerusalem, and then they, on the third day they find him uh, because he was where, they, where you would expect him to be. And that's what he'll go on to say to them. He hadn't gone anywhere. He hadn't run away from them. He had simply lingered in the affairs, the things of God. So they found him in the temple sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. These are, uh, when it says teachers, it, it means those who have given their lives to understanding and declaring uh, the truths about God as revealed in God's word. And he's asking them very, we'll find out very intelligent questions. He's listening very closely to them. But we're also going to find out that he is not only asking them questions, but instructing them. Verse 47, and all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed, his parents. And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. Now, when it says at the beginning of that verse 48 that uh, when they saw him, they were amazed. It wasn't they were amazed at, oh, look, our son. He's interacting with these very respected, very intelligent, very knowledgeable men. And he's holding his own. And they're, they're, uh, they're blown away by his uh, intellect, by his sensitivity, by his discernment. It wasn't, oh, what a, what a child we've got here, right? It was, they were ticked off. It was, they were, what are you doing here? It's like, how could you have done this to us? That's what, where they're coming from, and that's what they say. How could you have done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And then verse 49, we have the first recorded words of Jesus. This passage, these, I don't know, probably 12 verses. I didn't count them exactly. 41 to 52, what's that? 12 verses? These verses are all we know about the life of Jesus from infancy to age 30 when he began his ministry. This is all we know. And none of the other gospels include this, only Luke. And he gives us, in these words, verse 49, he gives us the first words of Jesus. There's weight to that. There's a reason for this. Luke is including this on purpose. This is important stuff. It's not just some kind of, oh, by the way, this happened with Jesus. This, this is important. Verse 49, and he said to them, why did you seek me? In other words, you're saying, why did I do this to you? I, I didn't do anything. You're the ones who left I didn't, I didn't go anywhere. Why, why are you seeking me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Some of the translations that you have there in front of you might say, didn't you know I need to be in my father's house? The little, literal translation is, didn't you know I needed to be involved in the things of my father? I mean, you were, for seven days, you were involved in the things of our father. You were right here. You were carrying out the, the prescriptions of the word of God regarding the celebration of Passover. You're the ones who stopped and went home. 
He's telling us some very, very important things, not only about himself, but about us. But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them, and that's the sad thing. Because even by the time I'm done with my meager attempt to try to explain what I think that Jesus was saying to us today, some of us in this room will leave here and not understand. You don't have to be one of those. And I want to ask you right now to consider asking Jesus to help you to be one who does leave here understanding. Would you join me in that prayer? Father, help us. Help us today. Luke included this because he, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, intended for us to take note of this. This is not incidental. Lord, help us to leave here today not like Mary and Joseph did, not understanding, but having heard you, having understood and responded to you. Help us, Lord Jesus. Verse 51. Then he went down and with... uh, Uh, went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject or submitted to them. And by the way, that's the same word we talked about a few weeks ago in regard to the relationship of husbands and wives where wives offer submission to their husbands. That's the same word. He offered submission. Think of it. The Son of God offered submission to um, Mary and Joseph. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. Even though she didn't understand it all, this is the second time in the course of this one chapter, chapter 2, where, where it actually says the, this phrase that she, she kept these things in her heart. She pondered them. She didn't let them go. Even though she didn't quite get it all, she didn't let that go. And I want to encourage you to, anytime you encounter something in God's Word that may be a puzzle to you or may not quite fit your paradigm or may not be understandable to you, that you don't just discard it. Tuck it away in your heart and make it your prayer that God would would speak to you. Verse 52, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. And then the scriptures go silent until Jesus is 30 years old. Now, I want to talk to you today about the things of the Father. That's what Jesus said that he was, he was doing. I, I'm, I'm doing the thing, I'm, I'm involved in the things of my Father, and, and why wouldn't you expect that of me? Isn't that what we, I mean, it's almost as though he's saying, isn't that what we all should be doing? The things of the Father? And I think everybody here would say yes. But the problem is, (laughs) the things of the Father are not routine. Does that look like your life? That looks like my life. A bunch of to-dos. There's a whole bunch. Now, the only thing, I guess the reason that I'm attracted to this is because all the sticky notes are squared up. (laughs) Right? And that's what I do. I may not be able to check off the boxes, but at least I got them all squared up, right? 
Joseph, and I, I don't want to, I, I don't want to read more into this than should be, but it's pretty clear because of the way that Luke describes they're going to uh, celebrate Passover year, every year, that it, it, it could be easily understood as being a routine for them. They went every year, they fulfilled the custom of the law, and then they went home. Life and even our relationship with God can very easily slip into just being one of routine. In fact, you know, I'm not, this is nothing anyone needs to feel condemned about, but it's likely that some of you are here today primarily out of routine. This is what you do. And listen, I'm glad you do. But Jesus, I think, was wanting us to see that the things of the Father, our relationship with God Almighty, has to somehow transcend routine. The second thing I want us to see about the things of the Father from this passage is that they are all that matter. The things of the Father, what God is doing, what God is saying, what God is working in your life and mine is all that matters. Now, Joseph and Mary, I'm sure they were thinking about you know, they've, they've spent a week away from home plus the travel time, and that was a, a pretty uh, significant journey to and from Nazareth. So likely a week and a half at least, they've been away from their house, they've been away from their business, and all of the other stuff that, it, you know, fills out all those little to-do lists, right? But Jesus, is, Jesus was saying to them, The things of the Father are more important than that. In fact, they're all that matter. The things of the Father are all that matter. As you look at your life, I think it was Mark that was saying this morning when when the guys were talking about how he, he recognized that he needs to spend more time in God's Word. That's one of the things of the Father, right? His Word, what He's saying to us. And Mark said, you know, if I spend as much time in that as I do in fixing my mountain bike, there might be something added to my life in a spiritual dimension. Duh. Sorry, Mark. (laughs) (laughs) Look, I've got my own stuff that I tend to let slip up the priority chain and displace the things of the Father. Let's don't let that happen. Let's decide today afresh, all over again, that lingering in the place where God is up to something, where God is at work, what he's saying, what he's doing, just remaining there is important. It is the only thing that's important. The last thing I want you to see from this chapter about the thing, or this passage about the things of the Father <clears throat> is that they must be pursued. The things of the Father don't just happen in my life. The kind of things that God wants to develop in you, 
the things that God intends to reveal of himself to you, the ways he wants to use you, they won't just happen. It says that Jesus submitted himself to uh, Joseph and Mary, returned with them to Nazareth. And then it says in verse 52, he increased in three things, in wisdom, in stature, and in favor with God and men. That word increased uh, is easily uh, passed over, except that it means something very important. It literally means to hack forward. Like somebody with a machete trying to make their way through a jungle. It says that Jesus increased in these things, but it didn't just happen. This is the Son of God, by the way. Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus Christ. The increase in wisdom, stature, and favor with God and men came because he hacked his way forward. He pressed his way forward. It didn't just happen. Wisdom is insight or sensitivity. You know, listen, spiritual insight isn't just going to dawn on you one day. You will, do, you will discover deeper, richer, more significant insight in the things of God because you've hacked your way forward and not let the press of this world and of its, of its intentions for you, its attractions to you, its agenda for you, crowd you back into a corner somewhere. It'll be because you hack your way forward. It says that he grew in stature. That means he came of age. And, and, and it's more than just, you know, he, he turned 13, 14, 15, 16, whatever. It means that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, um, that, that became a, subs, a, 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 wait, a weightiness, a substance to his life that had not previously been there. He came of age. A maturity uh, developed in his life. Listen, maturity doesn't come because you've had so many birthdays. Maturity doesn't come, um, you know, because you you can because you know, your driver's license says so. Maturity comes because you've hacked your way forward because you haven't let things uh, of that are less important than the things of the Father preoccupy you finally it says that he he increased or he uh, developed in favor with God and man that word favor is grace charis or charis grace the unmerited favor of God and sometimes we think of grace as sort of a one-time thing I raised my hand in a service and said, I want to be a believer in Jesus. Somebody prayed for me and I was saved. I received the grace of God and yes, you did. But grace is not just a momentary, not just a one time, not just a singular event. Grace, grace, grace. The literal translation of the word grace, charis, is the divine influence on the heart and its reflection in the life. That something of that 
you know, that light of God shining into my life is having an impact that starts to affect others, the world around me. It says that Jesus increased in wisdom, in stature, and in grace. I think all of us here this morning would like to see those same three things happen in our lives, but it will only come if we decide to pay attention to the things of the Father and prioritize the things of the Father. And when everybody else in the caravan is moving on, we stay in the things of the Father. Even if sometimes it's misunderstood. That's, that's why Luke included these verses here. Aren't they pivotal? Don't they, don't they set up the future of Jesus' ministry? And don't they set up the future of your life in Christ as well?